Well, good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? Ready to get into the book of Colossians this morning? We're almost done. We are almost done with it. We're actually at the tail end of it. This morning, we are going to begin to look at the final section. Since the the section is fairly long, and uh, especially because we're celebrating the Lord's table this morning, um, we're gonna we're gonna break it up into parts. Uh, so we're going to begin to look at the final section in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So we'll be in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And this, this final section runs from verse 7 all the way through verse 18. And, and it consists of really three parts. It does break down into three parts. The first part is Paul's commendation of his messengers in verses 7 through 9. The second part is greetings from the rest of the ministry team who are with Paul and Timothy in Rome, and that's in verses 10 through 14. And then there's some final instructions from Paul to the church in verses 15 through 18. So this morning, we're going to look at the first part, verses 7 through 9. And it's kind of interesting because essentially this is going to pick up on the theme or continue the theme that we've been You've probably noticed we've been hearing this morning the theme of, of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after Jesus and participating in his work, his mission of making disciples of all nations. So we're actually going to continue to look at that calling for each and every one of us who are in Christ. So let's read verses 7 through 9 in chapter 4. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So this is a clear and straightforward passage in which Paul commends his messengers to the Colossian church. There was Tychicus, the one who was delivering Paul's letter to them. And, as we can see, had been tasked with, one, giving them an update on Paul's circumstances and ministry work in Rome, and two, letting them know how he and the rest of his fellow workers were doing. And then there's Onesimus, who had journeyed with Tychicus and was expected to share in the task of filling the church in on the things that had taken place in Rome where Paul and his team were. And if you remember, Paul himself being under house arrest, under house arrest and military custody there, waiting to bring his case before Caesar. If you remember, that's where he is, that's where he's writing from. And if we remember Paul's situation, he had, he had ended up there where he was in this situation. Now, Scripture will say if it says he's in prison, but again, under house arrest and military custody. Uh, he had faced false charges when he was in Jerusalem. He had false charges levied against him by the Jews when he was there, and he was taken into Roman custody there. And he was eventually sent to the governor of that region, And since it became clear to Paul that the integrity of his trial before the governor there was compromised and that the Jews were going to try to assassinate him as soon as they had got the chance, 
He exercised his right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar, which ensured that he would be taken safely under military custody to Rome and to have his case presented before the emperor himself. That's his situation. And in light of these circumstances, we can imagine then with the Colossians that they would have been eager to receive news about Paul's personal well-being, wouldn't you? How is he doing? Learning about his well-being, learning about the status of his legal case, and about the work that the Lord was doing in Rome through him and the rest of his companions in their gospel ministry there. However, Paul didn't include any such news in his letter. We've pretty much read through the whole thing. We've gone through the whole thing. He's, He's mentioned nothing. The closest thing to an update on his personal circumstances, aside from letting them know who was with him in Rome, which is in this end section here, was the general statement he made towards the end of chapter 1 in verse 24, where he wrote, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That's it about Paul's personal circumstances. Now, Paul knew that the Colossians would want to know how he was doing. So he decided to leave it to Tychicus, along with Onesimus, to give them an update on how everything was going with him and the others in Rome. Certainly, there was much to share, and, and having trusted companions communicate this news in person was more efficient than trying to write it all down, wouldn't you say? Just to tell you, everything that's going on here, oh, there's so much. It would be easier to just say it. Sometimes I, you know, people will text me and want you know, to know, get some information from me, and I'm like, ah, let me call them. You know, I need, I need, it'll be easier for me rather than writing, a, I don't know, like a 20-part text message to just, can we, can we just call? Like, I need to just talk. And so, again, it would be more efficient and more personal to send these messengers to relay the information, relay the news to them in person. It would also have been encouraging for them to have the opportunity to ask questions and to get follow-up details from these men who had firsthand knowledge of what was transpiring in Rome. So again, if he did write some stuff that was going down, maybe they had questions. So again, to have someone go and deliver the news was much more considerate and thoughtful and and effective. So what we're going to do now is take a closer look at these two individuals sent by Paul. This is a little unconventional sermon just because of the nature of the passage. Really straightforward. There's not a lot of meaning that we really need to draw out. It is pretty clear of what Paul is writing here. But I thought it would be good for us to consider these two individuals who are mentioned. Are you familiar with Tychicus or Onesimus? You know all about them, right? I mean, they're They're not really prominent figures in the New Testament, are they? No. Uh, They're not, however, entirely obscure either. Uh, There's enough said about them in Scripture for us to learn how they were a part of Christ's work of advancing the gospel and building his church. Christ was working not only through the apostles, was he? He was not only working through the apostles and the prophets and writers of scripture, and elders of local churches. He was and is working through all of his people, every one of them. 
According to his sovereign choice, he grants to each and every one of us certain spiritual gifts, certain mental and physical capacities, and certain opportunities within a certain set of circumstances. And within these parameters that he determines for us, we are called to be faithful in the work of building up the body of Christ. Wherever he has us, however he has gifted us and equipped us with whatever opportunities he opens to us, that's different for all of us, isn't it? And yet, for all of us, we are called to what? To be faithful, specifically in his work of building his church. Tychicus and Onesimus were two men who were faithful in the Lord's work. So starting with Tychicus, what can we learn from Scripture about this man? Well, he's first mentioned, his name first appears in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where we learn that he was a native of the Roman province of Asia. Acts chapter 20, verse 4 says this, this is where we see his name first appear, along with several other people. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, that is Paul, accompanied Paul, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Now again, remember, when you see Asia mentioned in your New Testament, it's referring to the Roman province of Asia, not the continent that we're familiar with, and that is modern-day Turkey. So essentially, here's Greece, Greece, Turkey, the water between them, but this is, this is Asia, this region right here. I'll have a map. I actually brought a map this time. I mean, on the screen, because that would have been weird or hard to show you guys in a physical map. Anyway, but the Asians, right? From that region in Rome, the Roman Empire, they were accompanying Paul. It was Tychicus and Trophimus, so he was mentioned there for the first time. Now, what we read earlier in Acts is that it was not until Paul's third missionary journey that he was able to enter into Asia and proclaim the gospel to the people there. And when he entered the region, he went straight to Ephesus. So he wasted no time. He made a beeline for the city of Ephesus, where he ended up stationing himself and working at making disciples for a period of three years. Three years. It was like a, his base of operations. Finally, he had made it into the region, into the province, and he stationed himself essentially at the, the hub or, or the epicenter of that province, the busiest city through which everyone would travel. And because of that, because Ephesus was the major hub of the province of Asia, Scripture says that the result of Paul's ministry there was that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Very effective in his three-year period of ministering there. Now, all the residents of Asia would have included Tychicus. Tychicus was one who heard it, the word of the Lord, and believed. And by the time that we get to Acts 20, 
it would likely have been about two to three years that he would have been following Christ. And at this point, it is said that he was one of the several men who were accompanying Paul on Paul's way to visit the saints in Jerusalem. Now, what was their purpose on their journey? Now, we read that, that brief passage and mentioned all the names. This team, this band of brothers traveling with Paul, they're going to Jerusalem. Why? What was the purpose? Well, they were traveling with Paul to deliver to the church in Jerusalem a collection that had been gathered from the churches of Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, and Achaia, basically all those provinces in, in that region of the empire. They were traveling to Jerusalem to deliver this collection from these churches to help them uh, to deliver to the church in Jerusalem to help them meet the material needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ who were living in poverty. So again, there had, there had been a massive famine in the whole land and a place like Jerusalem where there are many people, many Christians, uh, this collection was gathered to meet their needs, to help alleviate their brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, Paul saw this as an opportunity, again, gathering a collection from predominantly Gentile churches to make a financial gift offering to meet the needs of a church made up predominantly of Jewish Christians. Again, seeing the importance of unity in the body of Christ. So this is really important. And Paul wrote of this effort, this taking of this collection, gathering from the churches and making their way to ultimately to Jerusalem. He wrote of this in his letters. That's where we get some of the additional details. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at the beginning of the, the chapter, in verses 1 through 4, Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus during his three-year stay in Ephesus. And he wrote this ahead of, he, he basically, he wants to send this letter to them. He ends up writing 2 Corinthians from there too, but eventually he's going to make his way to them. And here's what he writes to the church at Corinth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So, what does this tell us? about the men who end up accompanying Paul. Well, first of all, Paul's going, so the church is like, no, we'd like you to go too. So Paul's going to be a part of this caravan to make it to Jerusalem. But what does it tell us about the men who are with him? Notice what he said, I will send those whom you accredit by letter. So not just anybody, not just random volunteers, I'll go to Jerusalem, but men who are considered trustworthy, dependable, who had been faithful in their service to the Lord. These would have been the men that were sent as representatives of the churches. So the men accompanying Paul on this journey to take the collection to the church in Jerusalem were not merely tagging along for personal reasons, but they had been sent as representatives of the churches in their regions and personally entrusted with the transport of these churches' offerings. You don't put all your, your financial collection for a gift into the hands of someone that has, is not trustworthy or hasn't been dependable or reliable, right? And they're going on your behalf as a church. You want someone that represents you well. Tychicus, he was one of these men. Now, real quick, let's get our bearings. I have a map. Let's see if I can... Oh, it's, let's see. Sometimes it gets a little cut off. I think we have enough here. 
So real quick, as a recap, yes, okay, I brought a little laser pointer. This is actually a map of that shows you Paul's third missionary journey. And as you can see, it starts over here in Antioch. Sorry, I'm pointing at one of these, the screen over here. This is where he set out from. And he, he travels, he obviously has to travel through these areas, but again, he made it a point to get straight to Ephesus as soon as possible, finally getting into this province of Asia. And remember, he said he already instructed churches in Galatia, this region here. So they're already starting to form a collection. Then Paul goes over here, hangs out for like two to three years, or three years in his ministry. So during that time, they're making a collection. There's going to be a collection being gathered. And in this time, he writes over to the guys in Corinth, across the way. It's cut off here, but there's Corinth. And that's what we just read, his letter to the church in Corinth. What's he saying? Start collecting, start gathering the offering, that, and I'm going to make my way to you and I'm going to come to you. Okay? This is fun. All right. <laughs> Again, last time I did this, I'm like, I should have brought a map. It would have been so much more helpful to just get that picture in our minds of all those, the travels of the Apostle Paul and those with him. Now, Paul eventually made it to Corinth, right? He made, eventually made it to the church in Corinth to complete, by that point, to complete the collection of the offerings for the church in Jerusalem, because he would have passed through the other churches, gathered it, and Corinth was the place from which he planned to depart. And it was while he was in Corinth that he wrote his letter to the church in Rome, to the saints in Rome. So Romans, he wrote when he made it all the way there. While he was in Corinth, says, Scripture says he stayed there for three months. And during that time, he wrote to the Romans. But at that point, he was also planning on first going to Jerusalem. And what do we read in Romans chapter 15? We read this, what he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So we're getting an idea of Paul's ultimate goals that he wants to accomplish. He wants to make it all the way to Spain. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he wants to visit them. At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, and by the way, Achaia is Greece. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So again, he's collected their contribution at this point. For they, uh, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings of Israel. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered, it, uh, delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I'm going to come to Rome, and then I'm going to off to Spain. That was the plan. That was the plan. That was Paul's plan. He had his intentions. He had his goals. But there was a wrench thrown in there. His plans got disrupted. What we learned from Acts is that Tychicus and the rest of the team of church representatives who were carrying the contributions, well, they were with Paul at this point. So again, if they all met in Ephesus, they go with him up through these regions, finish up the collection. They're in Corinth because the plan is from there, we're going to Jerusalem. So they're all there, and they're with them, and they're ready to set sail from Corinth to go to Jerusalem, but they learned of an assassination plot against Paul by the Jews. Just can't get away from these guys. 
And so what happens? There's going to be an attempt on his life on this journey. And what happened was this forced them to take a much longer and indirect route to Jerusalem. So not only was their journey now much longer than they originally expected, but it was also more perilous. Again, it's dangerous enough to travel in the ancient world, and now you know you've got a hit out on you, uh, one of your traveling companions. I mean, it's on Paul, but again, you're traveling with him. So this is dangerous. So, once again, we have a, yes, here it is. So again, the plan is, we're going to leave from here. Where were they gone? Well, they would have gone, essentially, crossed the way, and then made their way to Jerusalem. Cut through here. But because of that attempt on Paul's life or the assassination plot, now they have to backtrack. They have to go all the way around, all the way back up here, and they're losing time and eventually making the way down, and eventually they get on boats and they're able to go to Jerusalem. But you can see, it really threw off their plans. They extended their journey by a lot, and also the whole way they know they have to be strategic and careful in how they're proceeding. There's even one point where some of the guys are taking the boat or the ship, and Paul's traveling by land in that point, maybe to split their party. So if there's an attempt, if they're tracking the guys he's with, he won't be with them for a little bit. So again, the danger is there. Now, Tychicus and the others, what did they do? Well, obviously, they didn't bail, did they? But they faithfully continued on with Paul, even if it meant exposing themselves to danger. I mean, at that point, everything's going well, but then all of a sudden, an attempt on his life is going to be made. That changes the terms that you originally thought you were being sent out on. Some people might think, okay, this is kind of where I this is kind of where I back out. When we're talking about assassination plots, I think I'll go back and just tell them, hey, it didn't work out. Here's the collection. Or I just left it with them because I, you know, they, they insist they're going to go, but you understand, right, that I left? Well, Tychicus and the others didn't bail, but they faithfully continued to, uh, with Paul. We can take the map down. They were devoted to giving themselves to the service of Christ's church, as Paul was, And when they eventually got close to their destination, when they got closer to Jerusalem, they were warned that there would be trouble for Paul in Jerusalem. The prophet Agabus declared that he would be seized, that Paul would be seized by the Jews and handed over to the Gentiles. So now you have a prophet by the Spirit of God revealing you will be seized, Paul, by the Jews when you're in Jerusalem and handed over to the Gentiles. It's official. It's not possible anymore. There's going to be trouble when you get there. Still, Tychicus and the others continued on with Paul, and Paul himself being determined to go no matter what. And they finally arrived in Jerusalem and successfully delivered the collection to the church there. So they were faithful all the way, despite the danger, despite the delays, despite all of their initial plans being thrown off, They stayed the course, these men, with Paul. Now, shortly after this, as we already recounted, once they get to Jerusalem, Paul was attacked by the Jews in the temple. He's taken into Gentile custody in which he remained for two whole years. Two whole years of sitting there in custody before he was shipped off to Rome to have his case heard before the emperor. And during that two-year period, 
We learn that the Roman governor allowed Paul's friends to attend to his needs. Read that in Acts 24. He allowed him some freedom for for his friends to attend to his needs. Tychicus may have been one of those men because he was with him, obviously. He may have been one of those men, or he could have by then gone back to Asia, the province of Asia. We don't know. But what we do know is that sometime after Paul made it to Rome, who's there with him? Tychicus. He made it to Rome. He knew, so at some point he knows Paul's going there, and he ends up meeting him there or being with him there. And while Paul was under custody there, he was being, Tychicus was being a help to Paul and ministering alongside him because Paul can't go anywhere. But while they're waiting for his case to be heard, they have the important work of advancing the gospel. And Tychicus is right there with him, being of assistance, ministering alongside him. Tychicus, therefore, knew how important Paul's work as an apostle was. He knew the stakes. He knew the important role that Paul had in the advancement of the gospel and the building up of the church and the mission of Christ. And so Tychicus was availing himself to be of service to Paul in Rome since he was confined. And it was, if you think about it, waiting to have your case heard. How long? Who knows? It was uncertain. How long would he be sitting there? And so Tychicus and some of these other men were with him just to stay the course, to be with him for however long it took to assist in the work of gospel ministry while they waited. So up to this point, Tychicus had certainly proven what? He'd proven his faithfulness to Christ and his church. He faithfully labored in the church's collective work of being used by the Lord to advance the gospel and build up the body of Christ. Now, Paul had a very important task for him to carry out at this point. What was it? He needed Tychicus to deliver his letters, his divinely inspired letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and the small letter Philemon to Philemon. So three divinely inspired letters that Paul wrote, he needed, because he's still stuck in Rome, he needed Tychicus to take these to their destination. And two and a half years prior to this, Tychicus was entrusted obviously with the task of delivering a collection from the churches of offerings to Jerusalem. Now he was being commissioned by Paul to transport brand new scripture to locations over a thousand miles away. Why? Because he had been, I should say, why him? Why him? Because he had been continually faithful to the Lord in his service to the church. And he demonstrated that he was dependable and trustworthy. Proved it. He demonstrated it continually. What did Paul say of him in his letter? Verse 7 in our fourth chapter of Colossians, he said, Tychicus is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Fellow slave in the Lord, that is. In other words... Tychicus is commanded not only as a dear brother in the Lord, but as one who is faithful in his service to the church and undivided in his devotion to Christ. Faithful minister, faithful in his service to the church. Fellow servant, fellow slave in the Lord, 
undivided in his devotion to Christ. Here's a man who denied himself, took up his cross, followed after Jesus, joined himself to the work that Christ is doing in the world. Now, briefly, briefly, we'll take a look at Onesimus, who was with him, who was with Tychicus on the journey from Rome to Colossae. What we know about Onesimus, we learn from Paul's letter to Philemon. That essentially tells us everything we need to know about Onesimus. Who is Philemon? Well, Philemon was a, a wealthy Colossian man who had come to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry in Ephesus years prior. So he, along with Tychicus, and also Epaphras, who was one of the ones mentioned earlier in the letter to Colossae, who likely brought the gospel to Colossae. But again, Philemon was a man who personally had come to Christ under Paul's ministry, a wealthy Colossian man. And guess what? It was at his house that the Colossian church met. The church met in Philemon's home. So he was a hospitable, wealthy man, a believer who had come to faith under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And as a wealthy first century man, he employed slaves to help take care of his property. So again, we had talked about this in the household code earlier in Paul's letter. He, ha- he deals with the husband-wife relationship, parent-child relationship, slave and master relationship, which was a part of society at the time. Again, the closest parallel we have today is the employee-employer relationship, clearly different But yet, the function was similar in managing certain responsibilities and tasks that needed to be handled in one's home, especially if you're wealthy, right? And today, we see those who are very wealthy might have a large estate. Are they the ones going all around taking care of, you know, the the property and everything? No, they usually have the help. So in this first century context, Philemon, a godly Christian man now, had at least one slave Onesimus. Might have been more, but at least one. And what we can gather from Paul's letter to Philemon is that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon and fled to Rome. He ran away, defrauded his master, went to Rome, where he could lay low and blend in with the crowds in the densely populated city. And he wasn't a believer at this time when he did this. But that all changed when he somehow, somehow, by God's providence, came into contact in Rome with none other than the Apostle Paul. What are the odds? He came into contact with the Apostle Paul in Rome through whom he finally came to believe the gospel. And I say finally because he no doubt heard the gospel, countless times in Colossae. Wouldn't he have? He served under a Christian master in whose home the local church regularly met. The truth he had heard, along with his conscience, may have been weighing heavily upon him by the time he got to Rome. That's possible. Which would have tilled the soil of his heart enough for the gospel to take root when he heard it from Paul. And perhaps, because of his exposure, you know, his, his knowledge of Paul through Philemon and the church, he might have even at that point sought Paul out. Maybe that's how he came to him, with a heavy conscience. 
but we know that it's through Paul that he finally believes the gospel. See how God uses these circumstances? See how he's, there's watering and planting, right? But finally, God gives the growth. God gave the growth in Onesimus' heart in Rome under Paul. Paul calls him his dear child in the faith. So what happened? When he came to believe the gospel, he began to serve Christ by joining himself to Paul's ministry team. Just like that. He is saved, and now he joins himself to be of service to Paul, from whom he heard the gospel and believed. He joins himself to Paul's ministry team, and he became very dear to Paul, as we see how Paul speaks of him. However, after Paul completed his letter to the Colossian church, he had Onesimus go with Tychicus so that he might be reconciled to Philemon. So think about it. What does the church at Colossae know of Onesimus at that point, or Philemon? What was the last impression they had of him? He went out on bad terms, right? Defrauded them. It was a sad occasion. And they're left thinking, he, he left, he's gone. That's how he left. So Paul's sending him back so he can be reconciled to Philemon, Philemon, who was also dear to Paul. Paul cared about him too. Both Onesimus and Philemon were Paul's brothers in Christ. Both, he actually had the privilege of leading to Christ, and he desired to see them reconciled. And again, what happened? Onesimus went. He went. He didn't think, my sins are forgiven in Christ, aren't they? I mean, is it really necessary? I'm forgiven, right? We can just forget about that. I can continue to hide out here. I'm being helpful, right? He didn't think that. He didn't think, uh, well, it'd be better, maybe it'll be better if I just go somewhere else where there's, you know, no baggage and start fresh. He went in order to honor his heavenly master by returning home on good terms. He chose to go, to do the hard thing, right? That's the hard thing, to go and make things right. Think about our church experience, right? How often do things get messed up and people bail? That's it. Now, either, either you've sinned against me, I'm out, or maybe I did something wrong, and instead of dealing with that by confessing it, repenting, being reconciled to the one I wronged. It's feeling, okay, I'd rather just go somewhere, you know, nobody knows this about me. Let me, let me start over. Clean slate. Maybe at this other church I'll be able to lay low and not offend anybody. And so we, we're used to seeing that. But Onesimus went nonetheless. He went to do the hard thing. Why? Because now as one who is a disciple of Christ, he wanted to honor his heavenly master by returning home on good terms. He not only desired to make right the wrong he committed, but I would say also to be of useful service to the church that met in the home of his earthly master. So it's reconciling this earthly relationship and also desiring that being home now, he could finally actually be able to be of service to Philemon and the rest of the church at Colossae as he was being of service to Paul in Rome. And here's what Paul wrote in his letter to Philemon, just to give us a snapshot of, of what he says of him. 
of Onesimus. He says in, in his letter to Philemon, which essentially is necessary for him to send because, you know, Tychus comes, Representative Paul, and with him Onesimus, it's like, hey, check this guy. He's back. What was their last impression, right? He's got a letter, and there needs to be some explaining. He's got some explaining, but he's got a letter from Paul that'll help bring him back to begin good terms with Philemon. And here's what Paul wrote to Philemon. I I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self, brother. Remember? Philemon came to Christ through Paul's ministry. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Wonderful letter. Onesimus was formerly formerly outside of Christ and seeking to serve only his own interests. Look out for me. That's all I'm going to do. That's it. He was seeking to serve only his own interests, even at the expense of others. He'd wronged them to make his escape to serve himself. Now, as one who is in Christ, he sought to serve Christ's interests and to be of whatever use he could to benefit Christ's church. He was now, as Paul said, a faithful and beloved brother. So we've seen these two men. Tychicus, there was quite a long story, a long journey there. Years, years of faithful service. And then we have Onesimus, a new believer, and yet one who started to demonstrate his faithfulness to Christ through service to the church. Different walks of life, different scenarios, but one thing in common, right? What God had given them, they were striving to be faithful, to be used by him. So here's some general questions to, to wrap this all up for us to consider. Because again, there's, there's no exhortations in this passage. It's, it's fairly descriptive. But we'll, well, what's the idea here? Well, what I wanted to focus on was that theme of faithfulness. For those who are in Christ, we are called to a mission. So here's some questions. Let me, let me ask you some questions. Are you, for you to ponder, are you intentionally seeking to serve the interests of Christ and his church? Are you doing that? Is participating in the work of ministry a priority for you? Is it a priority for you? Participating in the work of ministry. 
Are you actively partnering with your local church in the work of making disciples of Jesus Christ? Actively partnering with the local church. Are you engaged in the work of building up the body of Christ through prayer and service and instruction and admonishment and encouragement and peacemaking and so forth? All of those things contribute to the building up of the body. Those are the one another commandments that we're all called to, to obey. Is Christ's will a major factor in your personal decisions and goals in life? Is his will a major factor in those decisions? Are his purposes a serious consideration for you when you're determining how to put your time and energy and resources to use? By the way, your time, your energy and resources, who gives that to you? Right? So it's this, this issue of stewardship of what we've been given. If your deeds were recorded in Acts, time machine, clearly scripture's closed, but let's say, let's say Acts was, you know, there was a bunch of, you know, part two, part three, part 300 at this point. If your deeds were recorded in Acts, where, uh, where the focus of the Lord's work of advancing the gospel and building his churches, right? That's, that's the focus in the book of Acts. How would you be perceived? If you're one of the names that pops up, how would you per- be perceived? Would you be perceived as faithful like Tychicus and Onesimus in what they had been given and the opportunities they had? Would you be perceived as an active partner in gospel ministry? Would you be perceived as one representing Christ well in the different situations he calls you to? As I said earlier, our Lord sovereignly grants to each and every one of us certain spiritual gifts, certain mental and physical capacities, certain opportunities within certain sets of circumstances, and within those parameters that he determines we are called to be faithful in the work of advancing the gospel and building up the body of Christ. One more thing to consider in light of what we've covered this morning is that those who are counted as faithful servants of Christ in Scripture were not lone rangers. Tychicus and Onesimus were not attempting to do their own unique thing and serving Christ in isolation. Rather, their service to Christ was attached to the fellowship and ministry of the local church. It was and is in the context of the local church that Christians demonstrate faithful service to Christ. And it was and is with the blessing and affirmation of the local church that they are sent out to serve on behalf of the church or that they would move on to continue their service to Christ at a different local church. It's with the blessing and affirmation of the local church that they would be sent out or that they would move on. The local church is the vehicle through which we properly live the Christian life. Don't forget that. It's not just you and Jesus in isolation, detached from what? The body of Christ. 
The local church is the vehicle through which we properly live out the Christian life. We who are in Christ are members of the one body of Christ. Many members, one body. We are not meant to operate alone. We are, as Paul said in Philippians, to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, side by side for the faith of the gospel. And how fitting it is that we're going to partake in communion, demonstrating our faith in our one Lord, this salvation he's brought to all of us by his atoning work on the cross on our behalf. And he, in saving us by his grace, has knit us together and joined us together as one body of which we are all members. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and I just pray that we would take these, these things to heart, that the reality that you have called us out of darkness into light, you've granted us salvation, you've forgiven our sins, but you've saved us for a purpose, and that is to serve you, to walk in a manner worthy of you, to be on mission, that mission being to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do this in the context of the local church in our area, Pray that we would see ourselves in light of that, that we would have a heavenly perspective on things, to know, to be reminded of what you're doing in the world, and that you've called us to partake, to participate in that work of saving sinners and sanctifying saints. We are all to be a part of that work. May we all be found faithful as Tychicus and Onesimus. May we be found faithful in the, the things that you've given us, the places you've put us, we would, that we would be good stewards in this work, united as one body, serving your purposes ultimately as we live our daily lives with the number of days you've given us, the brief though they are, may we be faithful in your service. In Jesus' name, amen.